But it is good to have all of you here. How many of you, if you have Philippians chapter 1, say, I have it. All right, good. Pray with me, please, if you would. Now, Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word and what you say to us, I pray, dear God, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will move in and on our lives. You know, Father, because we've already prayed and given it to you, that you, uh, through your Holy Spirit, have full reign in this place today. You're welcome here. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we've had to, to sing the songs that we've sung. Thank you, Father, for the message in the songs. And we appreciate so very much you gifting those who have uh, taken their pens in hand and uh, allowed Holy Spirit to write the words of these songs uh, so we could enjoy uh, singing them to you and blessing your heart, Father, uh, by the lyrics and even the music itself. We thank you again, Father, for our worship band. Thank you for our vocal team and for Kevin who leads it all and for those in the back in the sound booth who make them sound better than they really are. Lord, you are a special and wonderful Lord. We adore you today. Thank you for the privilege we have together as we are today. And now, Lord, uh, I need your help as always. There's no way in the world I can do what you've asked me to do apart uh, from your strength and apart from your power. So I ask, Father, humbly for a fresh anointing this morning. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to me. You would speak through me your words to your people today. And may we uh, humbly receive them today, Lord, and then act upon them affirmatively as Holy Spirit, you lead us. Now, bless our time in your word. And as a result of all that you will do, we give you honor and glory and praise that you rightly deserve. And we make our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. We thank you, sir. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we prepare to read from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, in just a few moments, I want you to know that of all the letters the Apostle Paul wrote at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe in the book of a letter to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians, he got more personal uh, in this letter than any other he wrote. Uh, in each of his writings, there are things that he shares about himself. Sometimes he shares his hurt. Sometimes he shares his pain. Sometimes his disappointment. But in the letter to the Philippians, I believe Paul became more personal than any other of his writings in the Bible. It's special when we hear his heart, when he bears his heart and his soul to us, so we can learn from the way he feels and the way he acts and reacts as the Lord works in his life, uh, so all of us can do the same in ours and act accordingly as God would have us to respond uh, to his word. So I want you to look carefully as we read just three or four verses this morning and see with me some honest-to-goodness truth from the lips of the Apostle Paul and how he shares his own personal feelings and his own personal desires in these few verses. In verse 23, Paul wrote these words, For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh 
is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. He was from the south. Continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Becoming a Christian, becoming a born-again believer in Christ is actually the easiest thing that any one individual can ever do. After all, the work has already been taken care of. It's already been done. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, God's precious, divine, only begotten Son, laid down His life on a cruel Roman cross and took upon Himself and crucified on Himself to the cross all of your sins and mine. And by the shedding of His blood, our sins have been covered. They've been eradicated. They've been cleansed. They've been taken away, removed. And never do we have to worry about those again. Being saved is easy. But once we've been saved and we know, Jerry, that we're ready to go to heaven, then suddenly all the heartache and the trouble and the disappointment and the struggles of life set in in all of our lives. There are many hurts of various kinds that come to us in life. And so they did in the life of the Apostle Paul. And he's reminding us of that. But when we're saved and ready to go home to be with Jesus, yet he's requiring us to continue to live in a world of sin, a world that is beset by the powers of the enemy, of the prince of the powers of the heirs, a place that we really don't want to be. I've never personally known a person who had a born-again experience with Jesus Christ. I've never known that person. If their experience was real and they entered a relationship with him, Tom, I've never known a single one that wasn't anxious at some point to go to heaven. Now, I realize that none of us want to go in the next boatload. You're not in a hurry. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a desire inside of you. And it's innate because of the relationship you have with the God the Father through the Lord Jesus to see the face of Jesus someday and to go to heaven. You're anxious for all of this life to be behind you. And the Apostle Paul was here. And we're surrounded, though, by temptations and trials on every hand. But I want you to know, I would not trade one hour of the Christian life and my walk with Jesus for a thousand years in a world of sin. I wouldn't do that. I love the Lord. He's personal to me and I want him to be that personal to you as well. Now, if I were to ask, most of you in this room would lift your hands if I ask you uh, how many of you are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You lift your hand. But my question is, are you really? Are you really? Do you know that you're in a relationship with him, that you are indeed his child, born into the family of God by the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary uh, 2,000 years ago? Paul reached a point in his life uh, when literally here, he just wants to go to be with Jesus. In other words, he's ready for heaven. He's ready to go to heaven, but God needs him to stay here a little longer. And let's be honest, 
he really didn't understand that from time to time. After all, Paul was in a predicament in his life. Because first of all, we find here in verse, in verse 23 that Paul was in a dilemma. He had a real dilemma. He said here, according to his own testimony, I'm in a strait. In other words, I'm hard-pressed are the words that are used in the New King James Version uh, from which I read a few moments ago. He said, I'm hard-pressed. We often say in a strait betwixt two. We're hard-pressed. All of us are to a certain degree, and I'll mention a little bit more about that as we move along. But the Apostle Paul speaking now personally on behalf of himself, he said, I'm hard-pressed. I'm in a strait betwixt two. Now, you've got to remember uh, that the Apostle Paul was the greatest preacher who ever lived besides the Lord Jesus himself. He was a strong preacher, a man who loved God with all of his heart, a man who wanted to live for Christ, a man whose relationship with God was pure and powerful uh, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He knew exactly who he was in Christ. He knew exactly what God had placed him here to do. But he was saying, hey, I'm hard-pressed here. I'm ready to go to heaven But apparently God needs me to stay a little while longer uh, down here. Uh, The word here that he uses, hard-pressed or straight, is one that offers us many colorful illustrations if we know how it was used in the Apostle Paul's day. It was used in several different ways. And I've listed a few of them here in the flyleaf of my Bible. And I want to share them with you. Uh, we know if when we study out God's Word and from various passages of Scripture, the word straight or hard-pressed, Max, was used of a besieged city. A city where their enemies were coming against them. The enemies were strong. They were penetrating and climbing over the walls of the cities. And when they saw the enemy, they longed to be set free. But they saw themselves in a strait. Because as far as they could see in any direction, there was no one coming to their aid. They were, as though we would say, hung out to dry. They were in a strait. They were hard-pressed. Uh, between the two, surrounded. It was also used of a straight, a straight, the word was used of two points uh, of a boat when it's being pushed by waves uh, into a a tight spot alongside a lake or a, a tributary or a river. How many of you enjoy boating? I know a lot of you do, and you do know what the truth about boats, don't you? That the happiest day of your life is when you get it. Not true. But then the happiest day of your life is one day it leaves uh, because it becomes so much of a problem while you have it. How many of you like to fish? Do you? Mabry says he does. That's not true. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's used of a strait between two points. If you're on the water in a boat and the wind gets up, then the waves rise. They start white capping. And if you're in a boat and you're near near a little tributary off of the lake or the river, it's possible that those high wind and the waves will push you up in that little tributary area that's awfully tight against the sides of the boat. When that happens, you're in a strait. You're hard-pressed. And it was used 
for that, even in the Apostle Paul's day. So we get his point that he's hard-pressed. But also, it was used of a cattle squeeze. Now, one of our members is a retired veterinarian. He was here in the early service. He could probably tell us more about a cattle squeeze uh, than any of us might know. Now, I know a little bit about it because I was raised on a farm, and I know that we had cows, and when we need to to uh, give our cows medicine, when we need to provide medicine for them, they weren't going to stand still, turn around, look at you and say, moo, and say, come on and give me that needle or whatever you happen to be doing to them. Uh, they would not do that. So you had to have a cattle squeeze, something to guide that cow into and up into so the cow would be squeezed on either side uh, by a fence rail or an iron pipe or something so that that cow would stand still while you administered the medicine that you might want to give that cow. Uh, A cattle squeeze. They're in a tight spot, a tight squeeze, in a straight. It was used that way then. It's also used of a prisoner. Someone who is a criminal and that person is placed in prison. He is in bondage to the walls of his cells and the bars of his cells. He's in a tight place. He can't get out. He's in bondage. He longs to be set free from his bondage. But right then, he's in a tight spot. Now, if we were honest in this room, every one of us would say we have either been in a strait, we have been hard-pressed, are we are right now. Some of you are hard-pressed right now because you don't understand the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. You don't understand what's going on to cause you to be where you are. Seemingly, there's no way out. You're hard-pressed. You're in a strait. The Apostle Paul said, I'm hard-pressed. I'm in a strait. I'm a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I'm ready to die. But apparently, God needs me more and longer here to the glory of the Father. Listen, not only was Paul in a dilemma, but he had a desire here also in verse 23. He said, I long uh, for freedom. I long to depart. Now, his longing is twofold here, and I want you to see this. He longed to be set free. He longed to be set free from the bondage of his physical prison. The Apostle Paul many times was imprisoned. He was placed in prison. He was chained in prison. The chains were heavy. Uh, They were locked into a metal ring uh, on a iron pipe that had been driven and forced uh, back into massive rock. And there was no way that a prisoner within his own strength uh, could free himself. So the Apostle Paul wanted to experience freedom from the bondage of his own physical cell he found himself in. His chains, he didn't want to be there. It forced his arms to stay up and there was no rest and no relaxation. His feet were also in chains. And as I've said before, oftentimes knee deep and sometimes waist deep in human waste, locked away in these chains. He wanted to depart, to be free from that, but he also uh, wanted to be free from his fleshly 
chains as well. His flesh became bondage to him because he was still living. His flesh had been tortured. He had been beaten with many stripes. He had been beaten sometimes and left for dead. Uh, He had been spit upon, even like the Lord Jesus. Uh, He had been hurt so many times. And in the flesh, the Bible says he had a thorn, a thorn in his flesh. So let me tell you, I really don't think it was his wife. For some of you, it may be. But for the Apostle Paul, I don't think it was. But he had a thorn in the flesh for which he prayed at least three times God would deliver him. But God chose not to deliver him from that thorn in the flesh. So in his physical body, he ached. His body was raked with pain. If you've ever read biblical history uh, from Josephus, there is there a description of the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry, I don't have a Polaroid to show you or a picture today on my cell phone. But the Apostle Paul was a small man, according to his description. He was a little short guy, and in his smallness, if you will, he was also extremely thin. Because of the treatment he'd had, and oftentimes not enough to eat, sometimes on long, long journeys, going a long time without proper food, he was extremely thin. Not like me, but some of you. Uh, I've read that he was so thin you could have shot broom straws through him. He was so pitiful. But the Apostle Paul was a little guy and weak in the flesh, but strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew God, and God was on his side. But Paul was a little man, and he desired to be set free. He expresses his desire here by using the word depart. He uses the word uh, depart. He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. I want to be away from here. I could say, Frank, that I want to depart from the stage, and if I did and acted on my desire, I would go over and walk down the steps and I would depart from the stage. I could say, I want to depart from this room, and I could walk down off the stage and walk back through there, out the doors at the rear, over to the side, and I could depart from here. Oftentimes you say, well, let's depart. Most of you don't use it that way. They say, let's get out of here, or let's blow this joint. You know, you don't use the word depart much anymore. But the Apostle Paul had a desire here uh, to depart and leave there. Now, when he considered leaving this world, when he considered dying and going to be with Jesus, he noted that there was, there was here, uh, simply said, an innate desire to leave. He wanted to die. He wanted to go home to be with Jesus. He wanted to be set free uh, from all of this. But the word depart in his society was also used in several different ways. And it's important that we have a look at some of those. The word depart was used as a military term in Paul's day as well. It was used of soldiers who had uh, encamped in a particular place and they had been ordered to break camp, break ranks, and move somewhere else. So what they did was say, we're going to depart and to show or to reflect 
what was going on, they removed or took down their tents. They took down their tents, they folded them up, they packed them away, and they moved on to somewhere else. So the word depart in Paul's day was a military term. We're going to fold our tents and leave here. Now that is a glorious picture of the death of a Christian. The death of a child of God. When God is ready for us to come home, Tom, we just simply fold our tents. In your case, that'd take a lot of folding. You're a big old boy. We fold our tents. We fold up, if you will, uh, the dealings and the people of the soul that belongs to Christ. And we go to the bosom of the Lord Jesus and we go to be with him. Paul wrote to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We militarily take down our tents and fold them up and go to be with Jesus. It was also a sailor's term. How many Navy brats we got in here? Any, any in the house? We got a few. I'm sorry, Uh, Navy people in here. It was a sailor's term. It literally meant, Toby, uh, to loosen the ship and let it go. Loosen a ship from its moorings uh, where it had been tied up and to set it free and let it go out to sea. That's what the word depart was. I've used sometimes at funerals an example uh, that I noted years ago when Lynn and I lived in Florida the first time. And that's been many years ago, and that was a horrible experience. But when we lived here the first time, I was, we lived across the highway from the beach. And every morning I'd go to the beach, Dick, and I'd have my quiet time over there. There was one singular picnic table over there. So I would sit on top of the table, put my feet on the bench, open my Bible and all my other books, and I would read and study the Word of God and just spend wonderful time with the Lord. And I've often seen the ships as they would go out. Uh, to see of a morning. They would be loosed from their moorings and they would go out to sea. And one morning there was a, a family over there on the beach and I heard a little boy say this. Of one of the ships and they were watching them and all of a sudden the ship went out of sight. And the little boy said, Daddy, it's gone. Daddy, it's gone. And he looked down and he said, Son, the ship's not gone. It's just gone out of sight. We can't see it anymore. It's just disappeared uh, from our sight. And so it is for the believer in Jesus Christ. When we leave this world, we are no longer in sight here, but we are more alive than ever we've been before. So it was a, a military term in that sense. And it's also a farmer's term. <laughs> I like this. It was used as... Uh, for an example of taking the yoke off the oxen after a long day's work in the field. How many of you ever plowed? Have you done that? With mules or mares. Now, yeah, your hands went down then, did you? Bobby has, and boy, I have. Uh, it's important uh, that you remember this. Uh, we never had oxen, uh, but we had two old stubborn mules, and we had, we had a mare. And when we would plow with them all day long, 
and we come into the barn in the evening time, uh, it was amazing to watch their countenance, the countenance of the animals, when we released them from the bondage uh, that they had, the collars and all that was placed, the hamstrings. When all that was released, then sometimes the old mares and the mules would shake themselves and they would kind of relax, and especially as we cleaned them up and brushed them, etc. So it was a farmer's term. Now listen, one day, one day, your work on earth is going to be finished. One day, the work that God's called you to do is going to be over. And God's going to release me and you from the bondage of those things that have held us in the traces, if you will, to continue our service and work. And he's going to let us come home to be with him forever. And my friend, for most of you, that's coming sooner than you think. Because you ought to be standing where I'm standing and see what I'm looking at. You know, then you would know that it's coming much sooner than you think. It was a political term as well. Depart. It was used of, of setting prisoners free who had been in prison for a long, long time. And, and they were set free back into the world uh, in that day. And the day is going to come when God is going to open your prison doors and my prison doors. And he's going to release us into the freedom of the glory of the presence of God forever and ever. And the second part of Paul's desire was that he longed to see Christ. He said to depart and go to be uh, with the Lord. So he sums up his desire to leave. He sums up his desire, David, uh, to depart by saying that he longs to be with Christ. I don't know about you, but every single day since... God saved me. Every single day since Jesus came into my heart, I've had a desire to go to heaven and be with the Lord. I've had a desire to see Jesus. Now, not every day or every breath I breathe uh, do I want to go right then because I, like you, am concerned about my family and I'm concerned about you and, and I don't want to leave. Uh, but from that perspective. But I long to see Jesus. I long to see the one who died for me. I long to go to Jesus and hug him and embrace him as he looks into my eyes through those piercing eyes he has of ineffable love. Uh, a love that can I can only understand uh, through his death on the cross for me. The kind of love that I can only understand as he embraces embraces me and bathes me in the power of his word every day. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This I know. And I cannot wait to see his lovely face. Don't you want to see Jesus? If you're a born again believer, you have to want to see him. And Paul said, I want to be with Christ. And he went on to say, for this is far better. It's far better than the circumstances and the situation I'm in now. It's far better than the bondage. I want to go see Jesus. Another reason you want to go is because none of the things that bind us down here, none of those things that are uncomfortable for us down here will exist in heaven. They'll all be gone. None of the whys will matter. It sounds just like a place that I want to spend eternity. How about you? eternity to be with Jesus. But we, he closes his little writing here in these few verses by expressing to all of us, Tim, 
that he owed a debt. He recognized he had a debt. If you look in verses 24 through 26, we'll see the flip side of Paul's life coin. Though he was tired from his labor, though he was worn out, though his body was emaciated from all the beatings and the hunger that he had experienced in his life, and in fact that he longed to be free from prison and go with Jesus, he realized that he had a debt of service to perform for the Lord. I mentioned a while back in a sermon that most people around here, especially in the villages part of our ministry area, uh, everybody, when you mention doing something for Christ or continuing to serve the Lord, they say, well, well Pastor, you don't understand. I'm retired. I got that. But there is no retirement plan for the believer in Jesus Christ. You don't sit down. You continue to serve. What God does when he allows you to retire from your chosen field in in life or one that's been appointed for you he releases you from the bondage of that service and the time you spent there to have more time to serve him and to bring him glory in your life people ask me all the time preacher why don't you retire well i don't know if you want me to leave or what but they say preacher why don't you retire i don't need to retire I'm just as anxious as the Apostle Paul was to go to heaven, but apparently God needs me here a little bit longer or I'd be gone. My dad, all of you know, died just a few months ago, well, a year ago this month, later in the month. And for the last couple of years, dad kept asking me, son, do you know why it is? Why do you think God is leaving me here this long? Why am I living to be 99 years old? I never dreamed that. What can I do? The last few weeks he was committed to bed and he couldn't, couldn't, couldn't walk anymore. He could no longer drive, but he had a good mind. And he said, son, what good am I to the Lord here now? Well, God needed him to be here because he still had something for my dad to do. He had for him the responsibility to witness to everyone who came into the house, to his caregivers. He had the the, uh, responsibility of encouraging me and my family continually. And he also had the strong responsibility of sharing with others uh, through what little he had monetarily that others may come to know Christ. God wanted to use my dad till he drew his last breath on this earth. Many times he said, son, I'm ready to go. I want to go to be with Jesus. I want to go be with my Lord. But he wondered, like Paul, why is God leaving me here? Because God needed him more here then than he did in glory with him. And that's the same reason he's leaving me here. It's the same reason he's leaving you here. It's a valuable lesson. While our hearts, all of our hearts are being 
torn here and tugged uh, toward home, God still has something for you to do. God still has more for me to do. We want to go to heaven. We want to see Jesus, but He needs us here on earth. You see, we've been given the greatest message, Norman, and the greatest mission on the entire earth. And that's to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the entire world. But we have the largest mission field in the United States at our doorstep. We have a responsibility, church. God's left us here for a reason. You say, I'm retired. I'm old. I can't. Get over your can't-itis. Because you can, too. You get to church. You get to worship. You go to the grocery store. You do anything else you want to. What about the priority of God in your life to share the message of the gospel with other people? Paul felt the weight of that debt. He was hard-pressed. It bore hard on him and steadfastly in his body. And then he sums up his philosophy of living in verse 21. And he says this, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He literally lived a life uh, that portrayed the very life of the Lord Jesus himself. He owed a debt. He paid that debt till his last breath. What about you? Are you paying the debt you owe as a believer in Jesus Christ to share the gospel with others? That's your highest duty for the Lord Jesus is to share the gospel of Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul was a winner either way. Paul was a winner either way. And so are you and so am I. If we indeed will live for Christ and continue to work and serve Him as long as we have breath. A little earlier in the service, during the offertory time, the band, myself, played a song. It's been around for a long time now. One of our dear friends, and I mentioned it on Wednesday night, wrote this song, I guess back in the 70s, wasn't it, honey? At least that far back. But God, the Holy Spirit, came over Roger one day as he was sitting with his pen in his hand and asking the Lord to give him a song that would help reflect his testimony and his feeling to everyone to whom he would ever have the privilege of singing. Roger sung first tenor with the Cathedral Quartet for a number of years, years ago. And then God took him out of that when he was married and he and Becky lived for the Lord and they sang on the road themselves for years. But on this one special day, God the Holy Spirit visited Toby, visited Roger that day and he wrote the words to the little song. Now I want you to know, all of you know I'm not a singer and I'm hoarse as a bullfrog from doing these two messages So, Linda, I want you to come help me on the chorus, if you will. Give me a a little backup, huh? You can do it from there? Okay. I would say open. No, never mind on that. Um, But I want her to help me on the chorus. But I want you to listen to the words. It's, It's not the singing. But listen to the words that Holy Spirit gave Roger that day. The song is entitled, I Owe It All to Thee. 
And so do you. So do you. Everything that we are, everything that God's put in our possession to be good stewards of belongs to Him and we owe it to Him. At your stage in life, you owe our God every ounce of your strength. You owe Him every ounce of your energy. Please don't ever say, I quit. I give up. You've heard me say, I want to end well as a believer. That means when it comes my time to go. I want to end well. And again, so you'll understand, that doesn't mean to be pastoring the biggest church in the area, to have more members than anybody else has got. I personally want to end well like the Apostle Paul. So I too can say I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course, the work, paid the debt that I owed in service to him. I want to end well. I want you to. But I never want to quit preaching as long as God gives me breath, Jack. It may not be here, and I may not be able to stand week after week and proclaim the gospel. But with God's help, I want never to quit preaching. God, help me to have that strength till the moment he calls me home. You owe a debt, a debt of service, a debt of gratitude to the Lord. But my fear is, as always, there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. My, my, you have not a clue what's going to become of you and your soul when life ends for you. Unless you know Jesus, my friend, you're going to be separated from Him and all that's good forever and ever, living in a place called hell. But Jesus made it so easy. He said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. He said, Simply confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you'll be saved. Why don't you do that now? And in part, in part, honor Him today by receiving Him as your personal Savior. And church, maybe you've been retired a long time. And God's spoken to you today and it's time for you to recommit your life to His Lordship. Start whittling down the debt of service and commitment you owe to Him the rest of your life maybe that could be that some of you have been coming a while and the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about becoming a part of this family of God this body of baptized believers you need to do what God's asking you to do Kevin's going to sing a verse of a song I'm going to ask you to stand quietly and bow your heads and close your eyes unless you're walking I want to invite you to come Register whatever decision Holy Spirit is asking you to make. Come on right now.